1: Wow, guys! So This is a very—it's a very important conversation, an important podcast today. Um, it's inspired, obviously, um, sadly by the tragic, tragic death of Nikki Graham, and it's been something that I personally have really wanted to be in the news more prominently and for for as long as possible as long as possible. Really, it's a really important subject, and obviously, it's the fact that she sadly passed away of anorexia. And so we're we're talking about eating disorders today. Mm. And we're
0: very lucky because we've got Gemma Oton, who many of you will know from um, Emmerdale, but she's also a patron and helps run alongside her parents' um, eating disorder charity seed. And she has contributed so beautifully Mm. to this podcast, so So meaningfully. She speaks with such eloquence. And she gives us hope, which I think is really important when
1: talking about this subject, because
0: often you would think that there isn't any hope.
1: Absolutely. And uh, we'll also hear straight from the sort of mouths of teenagers living Mm. life now, with the potential of coming out of lockdown, June 21st on the horizon, Mm. you know, the ways in which lockdown has aggravated or, or, you know, Mm. laid bare dormant issues or eating disorders.
0: Yeah, and thank you ahead of time all those that commented on uh, on our Instagram. We're actually going to do another podcast next week, yes, aren't we? yeah. because because you know, there were so many meaningful comments. So, yeah, this is this is this is a gruelling one, but a really
1: important conversation. Oh, welcome to Confessions of a Modern Parent.
0: Yes, hello everybody.
1: So, not, not meaning to sound too sombre, but it is kind of a sombre sombre subject today, because of course. Um, Really sadly, between last week's episode and this week's, um, there was the much much publicised, that I have to say, not publicised enough in mm. my opinion, um, passing away of Nikki Graham, who obviously rose to fame on Big Brother, uh, struggled all her life with uh, anorexia, um, and sadly passed away. It was it was taken because of the disease. Uh, I'd seen on and off that she was struggling in lockdown. I know that her family and herself, I think, were trying to crowdfund in order to get treatment. (laughs) And it was one of those battles that came to an end. And I thought it would be... It's been something I've been talking about on other social media platforms. I know it has been talked about, but I don't think it's been honed in on for what it really most importantly signifies, which I think is the way in which COVID lockdown in the last year has really aggravated and made more extreme uh, already existing mental health issues. And yes, she's died of anorexia, an indirect victim of COVID. But anorexia, as we're going to discover and talk about, is a mental health condition Mm. Um, like many other forms of addiction and other eating disorders it's a mental health issue it's not a lifestyle choice and this is something she was clearly struggling with so much and lost the fight mm. and it really has affected us and it's really affected our girls
0: well yeah i was i was i was just always such an enormous fan of her i thought yeah. she had the most electric of characters truly, truly rich all-round character, obviously very complicated, who mm. had suffered and had to endure so much. I mean, I, I've been reading quite a bit about her this week, you know, and, and and for her, apparently the anorexia um became known to her and the family like six years old.
1: Oh yeah, no, she was very young. Girl.
0: And then, you know, at twelve years old, you know, she was very, very ill at twelve years old. And you know, us as parents, we, of course, as I think so many people have over the last week, imagine losing your child to starvation. I mean, a slow drip, drip death like that. I mean, just unimaginable. Unimaginable. Um, and we're and we talked about the, we talked about Nikki on our coffee moaning live the other day on YouTube and. We were we were really moved by how many people just came up and just wanted to, yeah, to share their story and their frustration with their treatment and the lack of understanding. Um And so we thought, oh, we really need to do this as a podcast, both from a parent's point of view and from, obviously, as always, the young people as well. But obviously, we're in no way qualified to talk about this. So as with all our podcasts, we're just parents sharing, I suppose, the horror about this story and wanting to feel like we can connect with those of you that are suffering with this or caring for somebody with this. Um, so I reached out to the brilliant Gemma Oton who I've interviewed a number of times over the years a long time ago on um, Lorraine and then just very recently on Loose Women and um, she runs with her parents the brilliant charity Seed Um, she has been to hell and back with this crippling disease and let's not forget this is the mental health um, illness that you're most likely to die of. This is, this is no joke. This isn't just about somebody being, you know, starving themselves for a bit. This is a complex mental health issue, and we certainly don't. We probably only know the tip of the iceberg of it, don't we, Mark? Absolutely. And Mark's mum worked for years in the Tooting Hospital anorexia unit where actually kids from young girls and boys from around the country at their very lowest point, would go to. So over the years, we've heard quite a bit about anorexia. Mm. I went to a stage school, so I saw a lot of anorexia.
1: And also, I mean, one of the key components of any mental health issue or certainly eating disorders and addiction disorders is that, you know, one of the things you're encouraged to do in 12-step recovery groups is look for the similarities and not the differences. Mm. And there are an enormous number of similarities between conditions like anorexia and bulimia and the compulsive behaviour in addictive, Mm. you know, in addictions. Um, It's interesting, I I just wanted to just say, just based in in terms of Gemma's um, charity that she's the patron of, um, it stands for, interestingly, Support and Empathy for People with Eating Disorders. Mm. And I think it's interesting that that's the name of the charity because Mm. I do think there is an idea socially and certainly social medially, if you like, the eating disorders especially, less so perhaps things like anorexia and bulimia, but I think there's a, but there, there is a belief, and it's very, very ingrained, and I remember this when I was in rehab from various parts of certain communities, so like from the addiction wings and the depression wings, there's always a sense I felt, and it's always stuck with me and haunted me, of it's a lifestyle choice, a mm. choice of some form. It's a sort of... There's
0: almost a glamour
1: to it, isn't it? Not just a glamour, but a sort of willfulness. There's a sort of willfulness. Now, now, there is a willfulness to all addictive behaviour and all compulsions, for sure, and we'll talk about that. And uh, I think Gemma will talk about that too. And, you know, that's one of the dangers with this. But I think it's really important to remind ourselves as we set off and and listen to Gemma, we've also got Maddie talking and we've got Carlitos talking. And obviously, Maddie did a call-out for all of your comments, so we've got lots of really meaningful... Uh, responses to Nadia's call out, but I think it's really important to remind ourselves right at the beginning of this conversation to remember that one of the key components of most of these mental health conditions anorexia bulimia compulsive overeating but also the whole range of other addictions is that one of the defining features of these diseases if you like is that it tells you you don't have a disease Mm. and it's really important to remember that because when I heard that for the first time in rehab that's where it's baffling, that's where it's mm. cunning and that's where it falls into this place that as mm. parents, friends, loved ones, just consumers mm. of social media seeing these people. It becomes very hard to divorce the disease mm. f- from a willful component mm. in the person mm. because it's telling everyone and it's telling themselves, I don't have this. Mm. I don't have this. So don't be ridiculous.
2: Mm. So
1: that that that's how it gets a grip and that's how it destroys lives. Mm. So should we... Start with Gemma.
0: Please. Yeah, I think that's a really good
1: idea. I think so. Uh, so let's have a listen to Gemma talking, obviously responding to and talking about the significance of the sad death of Nikki Graham.
3: This has opened eyes and it's just so tragic that it has taken the death of somebody so beautiful and so young and so loving to actually highlight the need for more understanding and awareness. I think... In general, what Nick is Passing has done is, is sparked a conversation and I, I feel so strange saying that because it's such a double-edged sword. We need the conversation, but we don't want to lose lives to prompt it. And I think it's really made people sit up and realise that change needs to happen. We touched on in the Loose Women interview about the need for better support better understanding, and how early intervention for eating disorders is so key. Nikki had been battling with an eating disorder for nearly 30 years of her life. The longer these battles go on, the harder it is to bring somebody back. And I say it time and time again, but the sooner we can implement the the right support and care and understanding, the sooner we can bring that person back. And when I say that person, I think what gets lost in all of this over and over and over is that those with eating disorders eating disorders sorry are people you know and and they are so easily forgotten and lost because an eating disorder is all consuming imagine what it is to live 24 7 with an awful voice uh, an enemy inside the mind um that is the trauma of an eating disorder and that is the very real reality for the 1.6 million people in the UK alone suffering from an eating disorder. Now, I've said it time and time again, but one in five of those with an eating disorder will die as a direct result of the eating disorder or by taking their own life. It's got the highest mortality rate of any other mental health illness and yet it takes the life of one person to 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 create a conversation it's wrong but look I think the other thing about the the death of Nikki is that change will be inspired from it and Nikki's death will not be in vain and I am determined to make that so and she will have a legacy but one thing that Hair passing has also done. It's also been a huge trigger for a lot of people. And I think one thing that we need to be really careful of is that, yes, we discuss and we create awareness from this tragedy, but we also make sure people know that there is hope and that recovery is possible. We're living in a world at the moment in lockdown where things are so scary anyway. Um, I think it's really important that we do shed a light on the other stories. And I'm not saying that I'm perfect in any way, shape or form, or I am this beacon or this inspiration, but my story is almost identical to Nikki's, and I'm here. And I am so fortunate that I'm still here. But the point of me saying that is that the narrative can end in a hopeful and positive light too. Um. Eating disorders, we at Seed, my parents' amazing charity, was set up 21 years ago and our journey is really full circle in that I am now, as well as being an actor, manager and patron of Seed, my parents' charity that was set up because we couldn't get the help and support that we needed. And I think what we've seen at Seed over the last year is such an astronomical increase in eating disorders and the reason for this the reason that eating disorders have been aggravated during this global pandemic is because an eating disorder is a mental health illness that loves control and it tricks the person into thinking that Control is the key to being able to solve their problems. The food is the symptom, it's not the cause. And so when people are struggling with an eating disorder, they often feel like they can't control external things, external pain. I always say that words that hurt us can push us to stay silent, but pain is always expressed. And this is what an eating disorder thrives off. So you add in the mix of a world this last year where We have no control. We don't know what's coming next. People have lost jobs. They don't know how to keep a roof over their head. Kids aren't going to school. They've lost routine. Kids were using school to escape, sadly, some of the things that they were trying to get away from in their home lives. You know, all of it has been a a microscope and a pressure cooker on so many people's lives. So therefore, those who are struggling with an eating disorder are struggling even more. And those who didn't have an eating disorder before... If it was sort of dormant, shall we say, because an eating disorder is not a choice, it is something that is deep rooted. Um, it has come out during lockdown. I think one of the things that we can learn from Nikki's story is that conversation is key. I remember speaking to Nikki. Um, about two years ago when I last saw her at a mutual friend's book launch and trying desperately to prompt this conversation with her about the fact that I felt like she needed help. And I said to her, "Nikki, are you OK? And she said, yeah, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine, darling. And I was like, no, you're really OK? And she looked at me and I said, Nicky, you're not OK. I said, please, you know, you know that I'm here, you know I've gone through it, you know I've been there, done that, you know that my parents have got an amazing charity, please, you know you're not alone. And I just felt like she seemed so lost and I think this is the thing like I said before the longer we leave this the harder it is to bring that person back and I feel like that's one thing we need to learn with Nikki is that we need to reach out and prompt the conversation in a kind and empathetic and sympathetic way um the need uh, for more eating disorder support service is 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 through the roof um I can't change the world. (laughs) I have not got the money or the power, but what I can do is keep fighting for change. And I think one thing that I'd really love to see is that we get so many people coming to us at Seed who say that they can't get help because they get turned away from the doctor because they're not low enough in weight, because there's a BMI threshold. And we get people coming to us saying that they've been passed from pillar to post. Now I'm not Pointing things because blaming people does not help. Negative energy does us no good. Like I always try and think of how can we be positive and how can we make a difference. And I think the way we can make a difference is by collaborating, is by the power of po- um, positive
2: partnerships.
0: Oh wow! And, and we're going to hear more from yeah. Gemma. That that she has such eloquence, doesn't oh she? On this, she really does. There's so much.
1: Yeah. And you can hear in, in her, her voice that she feels, you know, there's an, an equivalence between her and Nikki. Mm. Um She talks more, and I don't want to talk on her behalf, but she talks about some of the things that have happened to her. Um, and when you hear of the sort of the, the, the medical complications that oh, can just, come from this yeah. disease, my God, I mean, it's just so shocking. Um,
0: and, so, and so right that she talks yeah. about her recovery, so right, because people need hope
1: yeah exactly you know
0: exactly. so and and she's such an advocate for that um and and yeah i mean like we didn't quite have enough time for it actually when when i last when we were last interviewing her but this but this thing about the bmi threshold yeah. is a really big yeah. thing for Gemma. Yeah. um and she you know the fact that people are being let down yes. by the services because they haven't quite got thin enough, Yeah, yeah. and like she says, once once this this um, mental health condition is rooted in, it becomes more and more difficult. Yeah. So why wait?
1: No, absolutely. And I think for many parents listening to this, and I presume teenagers too, you're going to sit in this on this strange sliding scale. I thought it was really interesting the way. Uh, Gemma said, you know, there are 1.6 million mm. people with an eating disorder and one in five of those will die. Oh, well, you're looking at I nearly know. a quarter of a million to 300,000 of those uh, in total. But the thing that always interests me about that is, like, it's, uh, there are similar statistics around alcoholism mm. and addiction and those official figures are only the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. Because that's what we know. Yeah. And I think she also used another word well, in there.
0: Well, on demo. that, a yeah. friend of mine... Um, the other day was saying to me that she lost her friend at 50 years old from anorexia, but it wouldn't have been recorded as anorexia. She was so weak, she tripped over and she drowned. Oh, my God. In a very shallow amount of water. So that probably wouldn't have been recorded as anorexia, you know, so...
1: Well, and and this is is why we're in such an interesting point. I mean, I've talked a lot re-mental health and in a lot of our mental health chats about how there are the... I don't mean obvious as in therefore sort of dealable with, not at all. I mean, you know, she talks about the fact that, you know, for some people lockdown and this crisis... Will aggravate a dormant mm, problem, mm. and I think dormant problems is what I'm really worried about coming out of lockdown, mm. because
0: well, you, they talk about this. I'm sorry if we keep referring back to to, to addiction, but but because it, it's not well, the same thing. A, no. But there's similarities mental there, health isn't it? illnesses, yeah. yeah, and the way that you talk about the way that they talk in recovery about alcoholism, like you can be okay, but in the background, your Diseases. your disease is doing press ups, mm, absolutely. and so. You yeah, I, I I can imagine people that have got some sort of a handle on it. It would have this would have triggered them. Absolutely. This would have been so if out, you, if you have some kind triggered. of handle on it, it
1: would trigger it. But also for those lying lying dormant. Now my major concern is is that you know, is there is there a reason? That the tragic case of Nikki happened towards the end of us coming out of lockdown, because mm. the, the other interesting words that Jeremy uses there is control. Mm. It's, you know, you, you imagine being controlled. You said Food that it really cut through me. Yeah. Imagine being controlled twenty-four seven oh, by this heart. voice that is constantly at you.
0: Well, with my experience of my messed up, chaotic yeah. eating and self-loathing and all of that, that I I work very hard on now. That's a millionth. I've tasted a millionth of that and I call it always the stinking thinking, don't I? The voice Mm. gets in and then the voice disrupts everything. It can just infiltrate the happiest of times. When I think that's probably a millionth of what it's like to live with anorexia or bulimia, I just don't know how they bear it. I just... And I love that she puts empathy into... Yeah, absolutely. Because let's have empathy. Actually imagine what that is like. Yeah. Having that voice in your head, controlling everything that you do.
1: Absolutely. I mean, and also just finally, we're going to hear a bit more about what Gemma thinks about sort of the culture that we live in and the social media's role and all mm-hmm. that kind of thing. I do worry, and this is my worry, and this is why I think it's important that we have this conversation now and Nikki's tragic passing is used in, a, in, in as a cause for some kind of good and some kind of change, is that the control-no-control no control thing, which is really key to me, is I think being in lockdown has really confused people and challenged Mm. people with mental health conditions because I can feel it in my own issues that on the one hand control has been taken away from me and on on, on some levels that's good Mm. choices have been removed control is now coming or a lack of control is coming back to us and as that lack of control comes back to us chaos can start to creep in again now Chaos will have crept in for people in lockdown, but there'll be a huge number of people for whom it's also kind of provided a clear sense of what's what and how things should be. And my worry is as we come out, we need to all be prepared as families to catch, to be aware in a non-confrontational way of what's going on for our children. But as you rightly say, even for our parents too. I mean, there's a couple of comments coming. But yeah, No, Gemma talks about um, the culture that this comes from and social media, which I think is interesting.
3: I always say, with the cultural side, a lot of fingers are pointed um, in blame at social media. Now, I understand that it is a very different world. I mean, I'm 30, oh God, I'm 37 next month, ah! um, you know, so when I was struggling with an eating disorder, gosh, 20, well, my eating disorder first started 27 years ago, God, I'm old. Um. There was no social media, Um, though I think Facebook had only just started to, to sort of creep in towards my late teens. But my point is, is that you cannot blame just social media for an eating disorder. An eating disorder is a mental health illness that stems from so many different factors. However, we live in a day and age where social media isn't sometimes positive and is not helping the narrative especially this past year where we have lost all sense of reality everything that we're viewing is through a lens and when that lens can be distorted and when there are apps that can change body image and can change your facial structure and can you know change your your body structure that is not helpful i think there needs to be more duty of care and governance around um social media we can't shy away from it so as much as social media doesn't create um an eating disorder that would be uh, doing a total disservice to anybody going through that trauma it doesn't help and i can understand that there are definite triggers there so i think that's one thing that we can do we can look to working more with the likes of tiktok instagram twitter to try and make sure that that care and and responsibility is put into place to make sure that we're doing the best that we can possibly do. We can't change and and think about everybody individually, sadly, but what we can do is be mindful, and I think that's so important. I think medically, one thing that needs to be really, really understood about eating disorders, and my mum is so amazing at getting this message across, it's about state, not weight. So, for instance... Somebody who has bulimia, for instance, might not look physically unwell. However, the act of being sick um, depletes their uh, electrolytes in their body. And through that, you then get a lack of potassium and potassium is absolutely vital for the body to function for the heart to function and as soon as you start to go into low potassium territory that's when you're at risk of a heart attack yes my eating disorder started as anorexia but by my late teens that anorexia had um developed if that's the right word into bulimia and that bulimia (sighs) had prompted my heart attack and the narrative of 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 how people view my stories that i think they genuinely just think it was anorexia all those years and that that anorexia caused my um bowel prolapse at the age of 19 my heart attack at the age of 18 the fact that you know i've lost teeth because of acid erosion i think they think that that's all because of anorexia it's not it was because the bulimia was so bad and this is what I mean about medical uh, medical uh, risk and the weight versus state scenario is that you cannot judge the medical risk of somebody with an eating disorder purely on a physical attribute. It's so important that we learn and people are educated more because if they're not, then that's when we go into serious territory of the loss of life. And it's the same with binge eating, you know. That somebody who is binge eating and putting strain on their body through obesity is putting strain on their heart it's an eating disorder or or a version of disordered eating that is a serious mental health illness and the sooner we start to understand that the sooner people will start to reach out and not feel so ashamed you know and 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 embarrassed that oh god I I can't reach out for help because you know I, I I'm just big and overeating it's not that you're not big and overeating you are struggling with a mental health illness
0: wow oh Gemma it just makes me feel about not listening to that I mean
1: state state not wait. empathy empathy
0: empathy empathy empathy. when you stand in judgement of somebody for being too thin for being too this too that you've got no idea what's going on in that
1: person's head you know Uh, And also that statement, wait, standing in judgment of someone who has a problem or feels they have a problem, but because you've decided they don't look like they've got a problem,
0: then they they haven't got a problem. And you've got no idea what kind of hell they're
1: in. Yeah, and I think that could be something that happens in a lot of families. I could well imagine Mm. some of my old relatives saying things like if I was to not understand what was going wrong for me, them just going, oh, what are you worried about? You look absolutely fine. Yeah, You look absolutely fine. I might look all right, but, you know, you can have terrible, terrible eating disorder. I mean, I think that's an important component, I think, of eating disorders in general, is that you can have the visual cues of overweightness or underweightness, but no-one talks about the cues of no overweightness or underweightness, but, this, you know, it's not the weight, it's the state. It's the state of the person.
0: Well, how often do people say, I mean, not necessarily anorexic people, but people lose a lot of weight and people go crazy about, oh, my God, you look amazing, you look amazing. I, I don't say that anymore. I was caught up in that world because I, I don't know what might be going on for that person no. in their head. No. You know, I, I mean, when I see, for me, it's almost more clear when people somebody puts on a lot of weight, I always think, because mm. I know it's attached to what's going on and what's going on, why are you sad, what mm. do you do? Because to comfort eat or to comfort starve, is, is, is it's, using, it's yes. using that, isn't it, to, to sort of numb off how you're feeling for a lot of people. And obviously the, the eating disorder spectrum is very is very broad. Mm. Um
1: I think one other component in all of this that's a really tricky one, and I, I want us to hear from Maddie next, because she talks about, and then we're gonna go back to Gemma because she talks of you know, we've talked in this house, I've heard it mentioned that people are trying to get almost match fit, Good. match ready. For
0: June 21st. Game
1: ready, yeah, for June and, 21st. And, and what
0: worries me about that is that could trigger some people Absolutely. who, as Gemma says, has a, have a dormant eating disorder. And also it can create some lovely new... Juicy ones, you know? Oh, absolutely. The the, the earth is fertile now. I mean, a bit like all this, are you summer body ready? For a lot of people, that's how it starts. They go on a diet and then the... I mean, you know, Nikki Graham, apparently, somebody told her she was fat in gymnastics and that's how it started. That's that's what triggered her initially. So I'm very worried about the triggering. There's been a lot of programmes, actually, that I've just been shocked with, that they just don't have the awareness of this. When they're pushing out... Diets to get ready for June
1: 21st. Absolutely, absolutely. and, it, I, you know, no and again, mind it, for mental Yeah, health. absolutely. And with this sort of June 21st thing, and if for anyone who's listening internationally who's not from the UK, June 21st is this notional date that we've been given by the government for almost complete freedom. And so the idea is that ah oh, suddenly everyone can be in bikinis. everyone can, bikinis, everyone can kiss, yeah. everyone can date, everyone can reconnect, everyone yeah. can be everything that they want to be. And so there is this ticking clock, which I've already witnessed and heard is is, is causing binge eating prior to it. Is yeah. you know as people think, oh I'll do this now, but I won't yeah. do it for that week yeah. and all this. But let's see if I've, I had. I've
0: had to keep this thinking thinking out of my head on that. Oh my god, because I've... I'm always vulnerable to yeah. it. do I go on, do I go on.
2: You know, do I just
0: do an 800-calorie diet? And I just have to keep reining myself back in so you know where that ends Mm. up. I've dieted my way to obesity. I've done that my whole life. But it's really... On a diet, off a diet, on a diet, off a diet.
1: But it's really important also what you're saying there is... Our children, you know, we like to think that most teenagers are rebelling against their parents, Mm. but by osmosis, they're also learning Mm. how to be. They just don't want you to know that they might want to inherit some of your worst traits because some of your worst traits are some of the short term rewarding traits. And What I mean by that is not just looking at our parents using alcohol in lockdown, but looking at the way in which our Mm -hmm. parents have used food. Yeah. And I know I'm And like, that's
0: why I always say, and that's why I love that Gemma brought up this point, that sometimes we put too much yeah. responsibility on social media. And if we ask so ourselves true. that seriously as parents, are we just deflecting? Because I will say that you and I are our children's biggest social media influence. We are their biggest influencers. Influence. Yeah, We're like yes. a social media influencer. But in the house, yeah. what we do, we both have eating issues. We, you know, we have...
1: Uh, huh? I know. I sanctioned a, a, a terrible eating last night.
0: Yeah, yeah. You comfort eat, and you yeah. bring them on board, and yeah. and we have we've had a lot of trouble with that over the years, haven't we? Where I would go out for the evening, and come back, and you've brought every everything, it's terrible. every crisp, everything. and you're literally. Teaching them. It's done from a lovely yeah. place. Your intention was wrong. But, no, I know. No, But you've got
1: consciousness of yeah, it yeah, now. Yeah, You have. Absolutely.
0: You didn't at the
1: time. But I'd say the same for you. you, they've, seen you they've seen you lurch at diets and lurch. It's not, not kind of a blame game, but it is just oh, no, when absolutely. you look at the chaos. And the best yeah. way to describe it is when you, whenever you say it's chaotic eating. eating.
0: Yeah, disordered eating. I, I have huge, huge guilt around our girls. Don't it makes me cry. Oh. I have huge guilt because I I know that my messed up way of thinking about food because you know we can't just see the good things and go oh our children are happy because of this 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 without seeing where we've where we've disordered them mm. you know and we both have disordered eating well, you know we we lurch between being really good inverted commas and not so good at being bad and I I mean a lot of what I do. On social media now is to try and reverse what I've done because I do feel so culpable yeah. for them, and, I, and I'm kind of dreading what Maddie's going to say because I, I, I don't know what she's
1: going to okay, say. Okay, well, we, Maddie's going to give us a sort of snapshot, which mm. I think will be interesting. Offset alongside Gemma's sort of understanding mm. of the area, this is a sort of an, an ordinary teenager out in the cut and thrust of lockdown coming towards June the 21st. So let's have a listen to what you've got to say.
2: A lot of teenagers struggle. Well, a lot of people struggle with eating disorders, but pretty much um, everyone I'm friends with and know has a problem with food in some way. Not always as extreme as an eating disorder, but everybody has, like, their issues with food, whether it's overeating, starving. I think everybody's, like, the lockdowns um, have, like... Heightened people's eating disorders. But it's weird, there's also some people that I, some people, some of my friends who actually had really bad eating disorders and lockdown made them change that, like they've gotten better during the lockdown, but that's just a few people. Um, there's a lot of friends of mine, and including myself, who's definitely gotten, yeah, uh, their eating habits have gotten worse uh, since lockdown and COVID. And I do think that there is. Not even pressure, because it's not like everybody's being pressurised by other people to be skinny for when COVID's over and, you know, lockdown all of that ends. I think it's more just kind of we're choosing to kind of put that pressure or do that ourselves, do you know what I mean? Um, So, and I feel like it's a very, it's like a group thing. With all of my friends, it's kind of as a group we've decided (laughs) we need to be um, slim when we come out of... Uh, Covid. There have always been eating, bad eating disorders in uh, teenagers in this age group, and uh, I can't really tell if it's if the pressure to be skinny, you know, after lockdown and after Covid, is worse than any other year when it's coming round summer. Because I feel like every year, when it gets to summer, people are a bit like, oh, I need to be slim for when the you know summer body ready. And I don't really know if there's if there's any more pressure this year than there have been others. I think that it's kind of the same. It's just more that people have felt themselves gain weight because they've been overeating in lockdown because they've been bored or whatever. I know a lot of people that have struggled struggled with eating disorders, and I think lockdown hasn't helped with anything. I mean, in the first lockdown, I, I ate quite a lot, to be honest, but I didn't really feel like I'd put on weight. And then the whole of summer and a lot of people... Um, felt the same that because we were kind of trying to busy ourselves because we were finally allowed to go out and do things, I just didn't really ever think about food. So I would kind of go out see people and forget to eat a meal and then for the whole time I'm with people would just forget to eat. And then I'd be like, oh my God, I haven't eaten in like a while. <laughs> do you know what I mean? But that was more not intentional. That was kind of just everybody was so busy that they weren't, food wasn't what they were thinking about because the whole of lockdown food was the only thing they were thinking about. So I feel like everyone felt very slim during last summer and then it all kind of went wrong uh, during winter and the second lockdown because, I mean, already in winter you tend to put on weight but, like, having a lockdown on top of that, everybody was just kind of really overeating and I thought that, in my opinion, the second lockdown was a lot harder than the first. And I feel like during this second lockdown, almost everyone I know has gone the opposite way and it's, like, proper binge eating so we all feel really fat now and we're like okay now we're gonna we're gonna have to just like when we meet up not buy snacks and stuff do you know what I mean? We need to lose that weight. um but yeah I don't know I feel like there's always pressure when it kind of comes to summer and going out more to lose weight um I feel like the problem more with how my friends and I think as an age group we handle it is like it's not diets and it's not oh my god let me be healthy it's more like let me just not eat do you know I mean and that that doesn't work but I'm not sure how it's going to play out coming out of COVID I'm not sure if people are going to be like oh life's back to normal now so let me try and sort myself out a bit or if they're just going to kind of yeah spiral more out of control I'm not too sure which way it would go but I definitely think that at the moment yeah people are definitely wanting to be slimmer and losing weight now so but it's just more that they're not going about it in a healthy way, like, we're all just like, let's just not eat for a whole day, do you know what I mean? And that's just not, doesn't make sense, really. My problem mostly with eating disorders... Uh, how people, I mean, how people view eating disorders is if someone doesn't look like they have an eating disorder, then people just don't believe that someone has one. And I don't think that that's, I think that's really wrong. You know, there's some people that have said, oh, they're anorexic or they're bulimic. And then people don't believe them because they're not skinny enough to be anorexic or bulimic. And it just goes back to the whole mental health thing of being, you know, you don't know what a person's going through by just looking at them. Like you could look at a person, they'd be completely fine, but then they're actually struggling with Loads and loads of things, you know what I mean? So I think it's really important for people to not have that mindset when it comes to eating disorders. And also the thing of a lot of people tend to only take um, anorexia and bulimia as a serious eating disorder, but binge eating, overeating is a serious eating disorder as well. It's kind of like when someone's overweight, it's just seen as them being lazy and greedy. Overeating and binge eating is still a massive problem and it's just as unhealthy as starving yourself. I feel like all the stigma around mental... Mental health, yeah, and eating disorders needs to change. It might change after lockdown, because I feel like so many people have had to experience themselves go through issues with food during these lockdowns.
1: That's interesting. So she thinks it could, in fact, whilst on the one hand, aggravate those things, as Gemma says, dormant sort of issues. Mm. It was interesting to hear her say that for some of her friends... Their behaviours got better, which goes back to that mm. thing that I was saying. That I think the control and no control mm. will work in different ways for different a people. A
0: lot of people have found it a lot less stressful being out in the world. It, it was interesting, just that stream of consciousness from an eighteen-year-old, yeah. wasn't it? I mean, you know, she obviously she doesn't she doesn't really know about eating disorders, but it was just it was just interesting. Her just, you know, just tailing in and out of what the fuck up is yes. actually yes just talking about disordered eating yeah. rather than the seriousness of a, of an eating disorder but that disordered chaotic approach like we are so defined by the way we, this is coming up so i need to be thin oh i've got fat there so i need to and just that that currency that you're always passing back and forth in your own brain about what you do
1: to... live in a society and I, and I you know I don't want to I don't want to go all kind of um, what's the name what's, what's, what's the name of the guy who's who married uh, Katy Perry and you know oh, we oh, um, uh, oh what's his name with all the say? hair oh my god you know the sort of guru <laughs> Russell uh, Russell Brand Brands. I want to go Russell Brand here but I'm going to go Russell Brand oh Brands, come on then just for a minute We are forever going to be trapped in this yo-yoing culture. We live in a binge culture, not just binge eating, but binge drinking, binge sex, everything. We have a go grab it, go get it, go take it. You can have what you want. We've got so much choice. And if you live in a essentially financially driven culture that's selling you this shit all the time and then tries to sell you, the solution, which is diets, and then tries to sell you the food to cause the problem, mm. and then sells you the solution again and again. Mm. And then and sells you the possible and new images. wonder why mm-hmm. our mental health is up the creek. You mm. wonder why we find ourselves going up and down like mm. a yo-yo. It's you know, something systemically has to change. And whilst I might have kind of had a joke about Jamie all over here and there, you do need people. Constantly going on about almost the smaller points, and this is what Gemma will be doing with the charity. You've got to go on about the sort of the niche points. Mm. We need to target that mm. and keep hammering that home. as Gemma says, home. you
0: know, people get messed up and thinking that yeah. this is just about food. This is just a symptom. You know, it's just a symptom. Yeah. It's like, what is going on deep in your within your mental health? But society has a mental on? health problem. Yeah, we, do. we can't
1: expect ourselves to be. And this, I always get frustrated that. Every single mental health condition, and and whether it be an eating disorder, an addiction, whatever it is, is always characterized by the number of people that suffer from it. And obviously, Mm. that's one part of it. You need that to get a Mm. grab on it. and, And Joma illustrated just the scale of it. But what that, you know, what you've got, what we've got to avoid is the thought that actually, I wouldn't be at all surprised if every single person you met in this country coming out of lockdown has, at some low level, and eating disorder now, disordered or eating. disordered eating yeah. at some point, like most people struggle with their drink. They might not be alcoholics, but they struggle with the levels of drinking. And I just get really what I get, I get people so angry on, on all of our behalf because we're, we're trying to fix something that's not that that sometimes feels unfixable, you know. And I think, thank God, we've got people like Gemma saying there's hope and there's change. Um, general also talks about june twenty first and the move towards coming out of lockdown. so let's let's have a listen.
3: I think one of the things that is going to be really difficult as we move to june twenty first, it's interesting, Nadia, because, We've been looking towards this date for such a long time and the narrative has always been around how are we coping in lockdown when we're isolated and alone and we can't see anybody. And now it's been a year and now the scenario is how do we cope with going back into the real world again? Because I'm telling you now, you know, I'm scared, I'm anxious, you know, I've been so used to sort of... Being at home, doing Zoom meetings, emails, running the charity, taking Ruby out for a walk, um, my beautiful dog who has kept me sitting for the last year. But the thought of like not getting in my pyjama bottoms at six o'clock at night and pouring a glass of wine and just sitting in my little bedroom and carrying on with work and actually going out into the real world is like, what? Going back out into the real world is going to be very scary as well. And I think one thing that I can't stress enough, is that people must look after themselves. And I know it sounds a bit of a cliche, but you do you. There is no right or wrong in all of this. There should be no pressure to conform. I think people need to know that they have the ability to say no. Um, One thing that I've learned over the years, being a massive people pleaser, um, is the power of a full-on no. If it doesn't sit right with me now, I don't do it. I take things at my pace for my mental health, for my well-being, for my self-care. And I think it's really important that people understand that they can take baby steps with this. And, you know, any advice that I can give to especially teenagers who are, you know, I know we've seen a 68% increase in, in, you know, 10 to 19-year-olds coming to us for eating disorder support. I know that they're struggling with anxiety, with eating disorders, with all sorts, but all I can say is that the world will open up, that's going to happen, but how you open up is your choice, and if you do it at your pace, knowing that you are not alone, we are all in this together, keep talking, keep the conversation going, then things will start to be much easier it's so interesting isn't it's it it's so
1: interesting but i loved what, what i loved what gemma was saying there about how she says no i mean again listen mm. guys to the similarities going on here you know listen for you know you could apply this to any mental health condition exactly you know it exactly. is really important and i think so often you know one of the things that doesn't get looked at and and i've talked we've talked about this before on other platforms We can get overly obsessed sometimes with, you know, strictly niche defining what our mental health condition is. I know people, for instance, who have had massive alcoholic issues, which have stemmed from a profound inability to conquer their eating disorders Mm. at root. And, you know, they've had to go back and try and contend with their chaotic eating, Mm. anorexia, bulimia, what have you. And alcohol has been a way of numbing that. And so... You know, it's really important as you listen to this that, you you know, you you know, as a parent, it's really key that we, you know, Gemma goes on to say, talk elsewhere about the fact that, you know, it's really important that we don't as parents confront our teens. And I think that, you know, it's really key that confrontation is something that this disease and I think it'd be really good to hear Gemma on this. Actually, it's her final piece is just on parenting, Mm. Uh, because as a disease, as she says, it it thrives off that.
2: Mm.
3: Make sure that when you are concerned and want to reach out, it's not challenging. It's not, um, it's not confrontational because an eating disorder loves that. Any form of mental health loves that. And especially in teenagers, I remember it very well. You tell me not to do something or you challenge me. <laughs> and, you know, World War Three would erupt with Mum and I. But when Mum and Dad started to realise that the conversation needed to be from the heart about Gemma, their daughter, that was when things changed and we reconnected and i think the power of conversation and the power of words is so important and um yeah i think i know it's a scary time right now i know the passing of nikki is is going to be very frightening for a lot of people but i hope that we can hold on to hope because there is so much hope out there recovery is possible and also somebody once said to me, the wonderful James Downs when I um, got the pleasure of interviewing him he's an amazing mental health advocate he once said to me that your recovery is your discovery
0: mm. Oh, Gemma, thank you so, so much for your contribution. Mm. We couldn't have done this podcast without (laughs) Gemma. It wouldn't have been right because we really needed somebody that has really lived Mm. through this. And my God, Gemma has. And God, she is a beacon of light and hope for recovery. And, you know, please hear the messages that she is giving Mm. so eloquently. You know, there is hope. Yeah, exactly.
1: Exactly. And that's what I needed to hear today because I can sometimes find myself As someone who feels quite plugged into mental health issues, I I can find myself flip-flopping between Mm. thinking, this is the solution. and Oh, my God, how can we get the solution? Mm. How can we make people realise the solution? Listening to someone like Gemma is, is is really heartwarming, though difficult, because, of course, the scale of the problem, the nature of the problem, it's not easy. If it was easy, we wouldn't have the problem. Um, I loved what she also said about um, saying no. That resonates for me. And really key is something that I often say to the girls around most of their anxiety is don't feel rushed. You know, I mean, ironically, you know, you've you got the busiest busiest social week because you're so keen to get out and see your friends this week. And I'm having to really just myself as a small example say to myself, I don't want to move at that pace. Mm. I can't move at that pace. Mm. And it's a bit jangly and it's a bit intimidating. So it's very hard to hold your course Mm. that's right for you Mm. when all about you people are justifiably very keen and eager to move at a faster pace or want to do too much don't feel harried don't feel rushed we
0: talk a lot about that don't we in our youtube channel we are very very aware that it's important to keep the conversation going for probably, I reckon, because a lot of people keep seeing the 40% of people that actually feel extremely anxious about coming out of yeah. lockdown. And it's really important that those people yeah. have a voice. And you know, with your, you know, with our example, I just let that be. I just know that we just, I mean, thing is, come next week I won't want to leave the house. No. But I have this need to see people and see my girlfriends and be close to them and be yeah. be all of that. Um, but absolutely it's not right for every everyone. I Mm. love that. Why recovery is your discovery. Your discovery. Thank you so much,
1: Jim. Thank you, Jim. Now I'm gonna make a radical suggestion that we're gonna we have had so many meaningful comments from Mm. you guys on social media. We'd like them to keep coming in and I think next week's episode will be all about your comments yeah. around this topic. because Yeah, is a we topic, have so
0: many. And I'm and really think, keen
1: that this just isn't a tentpole moment. I'm sure yeah. Gemma would agree that we don't just talk to continue about Iggy pop- for a while. Well, week. that's what
0: she said. Let's yeah, make this absolutely. continue. So, so thank you. We have got all your comments from yeah. this week and we will read them out next week. We will do a comments And we'll repost um, again for you to do more yeah. if you
1: want to say more. Uh, what, what we are going to do, though, is, is hear from Carlitos yeah. right at the end. Um, it'll be interesting to hear a boy's voice as well and... Uh, Let's see what he's got to say about the subject.
4: I've never experienced anorexia before, so I can't really answer much um on this subject, but my friend has, and she's let me share her story for this podcast. Um but she doesn't want to be named, so we're gonna call her we'll call her Jennifer. Um so as you know, Nikki Graham sadly passed away recently. And it was actually her passing that gave Jennifer the confidence to share her story with the world in, in this way. Because it, it's just so awful what happened to Nikki and and Jennifer would like to share her story. So it was the summer, um actually. It was like actually it was like end of spring, like approaching the summer a few years ago and Jennifer wanted to lose a bit of weight for the summer, um, you know, as a lot of people do. So um, so she did that, and her parents weren't worried. Obviously, as you know, some people want to lose a bit of weight to have that um. Well, what's a, what society deems you know the perfect summer body, um, and so Jennifer would cut down on junk food and takeaways and stuff, and just go for things like salads and smoothies and just like you know healthy foods. Anyway, she got hooked on this healthy living kind of lifestyle and in Jennifer's words just wanted to be as thin as she possibly could um Jen's parents then noticed a significant amount of weight loss and um as time went by and just grew concerned and she says that when her when her hair started to fall out that was that was when her parents intervened and decided to get professional help um, Jen said that the support that she got her, from her parents and the specialists that helped her was just incredible. She did, however, have a tough time in school because, you know, you know, kids can be really cruel and people would say really, really hurtful things to her and make it seem like it's all her fault um, that she's going through this. And this is what I think is really important. Jennifer actually asked me to mention this, and I think it is an important message. She said. I don't want anyone to think of anorexia as a choice because it's not at all. It's a horrible, horrible illness, but not a choice. And I think that's very, very important. Yeah. That's really oh, cool. Thanks, that's Carly. That's very
0: to moving. Thank you, Carly. Mm. and thank you to thank your you, friend inverted commas Jennifer for sharing that because wow. it's not easy, even if you're talking anonymously, it's not easy no. when you share, no. you know, these these, you know, incredibly painful. Experiences.
1: Yeah,
0: it's not a choice. It's not a choice.
1: What a multifaceted yeah. approach to a really complicated subject. Mm. So, yeah, thank you so much, Gemma, and, and we will Maddie put and um, thank you underneath <clears throat> this
0: podcast. Gemma's uh, the contact details yeah, for absolutely. Gemma's um, charity. <coughs> Excuse me. And yes, and please thank you, guys, for those of you that have contributed and as we yeah, say we'll we will be reading out your we'll comments next, next week because there was a lot to put in there. so remember
1: parents no confrontation and remember school kids and teenagers no judgment and i think what's really pulsing through all of this is these are not lifestyle choices exactly and and somebody
0: living with anorexia or bulimia might look totally fine so that's what you can Parent, on Global Player or wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) Ta-da!